The truth is, I don't remember anything about my baptism. It occurred just over a month after I was born and before I was able to start recollecting memories. So anticipation, anticipation of today, the day we remember the baptism of Christ, I called both my parents, hoping they would be able to tell me something about my baptism, anything. Like maybe why they chose to do it and whether I cried when the baptism, when the waters of the baptismal font were poured over my head. But unfortunately, after more than 40 years, memories begin to fade, and they didn't remember much about that day either. So all I have as evidence of my baptism is my baptism certificate, this picture of that day, and the few details they could remember. So according to my parents, I was baptized in a Catholic church, and sitting in the pews were my grandparents, aunts and uncles, and family friends. The woman off to the right in the picture is my godmother, and to the left are my parents. I'm told that the clothes I'm wearing are the same clothes that were given to me that my, I was able to baptize my own son in just a few years ago. My mom said she remembers it was a happy day, and the priest holding me was so excited. He's smiling ear to ear that he got to baptize me, she said. While, looking at the pic while from looking at the picture, I thought the whole thing was a total snooze fest. <laughs> and then afterwards, there was a reception with cake and light refreshments, which I was not able to partake in. <laughs> Apparently, it was all baby formula for me. <laughs> and from what I read of today's scripture, Jesus' baptism was nothing like mine, or probably yours either. He wasn't dressed up in cute clothes that day and taken to the baptismal font at his local synagogue by his parents. There were no hallmark cards with money piling up inside a basket. There was no fancy baptismal cake waiting to be eaten or a photographer waiting to take his picture with his aunts and uncles afterward. There was no doctrine of the Trinity, confessions or creeds being recited by friends and family. It was just Jesus, a crowd of strangers who had come from all over Judea, and this wild guy named John who wore camel's clothes, clothes with camel's hair, a leather belt, and ate wild honey and locust. As I read this story, it's hard not to notice our experience of baptism feeling so very different from what Jesus had experienced. Especially as we read at the end of this text about the heavens being torn apart and the Holy Spirit dive-bombing him like a game of angry birds. And because of that, I think this story raises questions we're all probably wanting to know. Like, what did his baptism mean? 
And as we seek to understand it and derive meaning from it, I think we're also wanting to know, what do our baptisms mean? Because while my parents didn't tell me, I sure don't remember. During my own baptism, a special voice from heaven telling me that I was beloved, and with me, they were well pleased. To help give you some context to this scripture, Mark is the only book in the Bible that announces itself as a gospel or the good news of Jesus. And it's also different from the other gospels in that there's a sense of urgency to it. The writer doesn't fiddle fart around, but keeps the story moving right along. The Greek word, euthos, which is translated as immediately, appears 12 times in all of the New Testament. But in the Gospel of Mark, it appears 42 times, one of which is in verse 10 of this story. Mark is to the point. And when we meet Jesus for the first time, there's no cute baby story introducing him, but he appears as an adult on his way to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist. And one of the things that immediately stands out in Mark's gospel is Jesus's identity is never a secret to his readers. In the first 11 verses of Mark, we're told a number of details that point directly to his identity as the Christ. Right away, we're plainly told that he's God's son in verse 1. Then right after, in verses 2 and 3, we're told Jesus is the coming messenger of God, as we hear a mishmash of scriptural quotations from Malachi and Exodus that have suddenly become part of Isaiah's prophecy. We're introduced to John in his non-traditional clothing and exotic eating habits, reminding us of old desert prophets like Elijah and Elisha, and that John, too, is the forerunner of Jesus. And it's no coincidence that his baptism is taking place in the wilderness, on the banks of the Jordan River. The Jordan River it played a crucial role in the formation of Israel's identity. It was at the Jordan where Jacob's name was changed to Israel. The Jordan River was the boundary between the wilderness and the promised land. And it was in the crossing of the Jordan under Joshua's leadership that Israel came into the promised land, ending this long period of wandering in the wilderness. The Jordan was associated with Israelites' experience of exile, and Jesus' baptism in the Jordan places him right in the unfolding history of that drama, as it stirs images of leading people from oppression to the hope of liberation. The details of Jesus's identity and the location of his baptism, they all converge 
to make a theological point in the story. And that point is, Jesus is the Christ. It was to say at the beginning of this story, he is the real deal, the coming messenger of God, the divinely appointed Messiah, the one who's going to declare and embody God's reign here on earth. And his baptism was a symbol that he had chosen to align himself with that truth. He was going to represent God's presence and usher in the promises of God's peace, love, and justice. His baptism was making visible what was already the case before it even come to the river, that he was God's child, whom God loved, and with whom God was well pleased. I'll be honest with you. Preaching about baptism, it actually gives me a little anxiety. And it's probably why I decided to skip this scripture altogether three years ago when it came up. It makes me feel uneasy because for far too long, and even to this day, baptism is a sacrament of the greater universal church that has been used to hurt people. It's been used as a system and a structure to mediate whom God's presence is with and domesticate who God's grace falls upon. It's been used as a means to try to control God's love, not because God's love's going to run out, but for the sake of creating some kind of order or power. And I cringe at the idea of people needing baptismal ID cards to show they have God's seal of approval or that they're loved by God. So I need to share a couple of things with you that I believe to be true about baptism. And maybe they'll sound heretical, but I need to share them as we talk about what baptism means today. And maybe the most shocking one is, you don't have to be baptized to be a beloved child of God. You do not have to be baptized to be a beloved child of God. All you have to do is just be in this world. That is enough. Because whispered to us in the womb and at our birth were already the words, you are my beloved. We do baptisms in the church to try to make visible what is already an eternal truth, that each one of us is a beloved and cherished child of God. We are a sacred vessel, a container of the holy, and through water and spirit, we make visible what is already true before we came into this world. In the United Church of Christ, baptism is an outward and invisible sign of God's grace. 
and through baptism a person is joined to the greater universal church or the body of Christ. We become part of a people and a history, and through our baptisms we participate in Jesus' baptism. We make the promise to follow in his footsteps and commit ourselves in body, mind, and spirit to the ministry of his love, peace, and justice. The act of baptism marks the beginning of a new life of discipleship in following Christ. It is a visible sign of an invisible event that is occurring within us, that we are God's beloved, and we are now choosing to live like it. And although baptism might be used in some places to identify whom, God's lo whom God loves or whom God's grace falls upon, the truth is, baptism is all about love. In the church, it is a way to express God's love to all people who seek it. Yes, it might be an entryway into the church or why we found ourselves part of this faith tradition, but baptism has always been an expression of God's profound love for us. The act of doing it doesn't transform us into God's beloved children, but it is simply an affirmation that we are God's beloved children. So no matter who we are, we may be baptized. No matter what we've done, we may be baptized. And no matter what we do after we're baptized, we are still baptized. It doesn't rub off, and no one can take it from us. And maybe we made our own baptismal promises, or perhaps someone made them on our own behalf when we were still wearing diapers and cooing like me. But this Sunday, we are reminded to take our own baptismal promises seriously. And if you're not baptized yet, maybe it's time to consider doing so because of who Christ is and the kingdom of love here on earth. He's asking us to live by and usher in. As we watch parts of society decay and disintegrate, I think baptism draws us back to something bigger and it bonds us in a shared love for God's people and the world as God would have it be. So what did Jesus' baptism mean? It was an affirmation that he was loved by God, and it signaled the beginning of his ministry. And this small splash of water that we've received at our baptism is not only an affirmation that we too are God's beloved, but it marks the beginning of a whole new life for us. A life of affirming the presence of God's Spirit is with us. A life of union with Christ. And a life of knowing that we are all part of the same family. A family where all are called to sit at the same table in the kingdom of God.
and that we're going to see to it that there's a place for you at that table too. So as you leave this day, baptized or not, remember, you are God's child. You are loved. And with you, God is well pleased. Amen. Amen. Amen.